we, we've lost all sense of time and reason and everything, as is always the case. We're sometime in January. Um, we're, we're home stretch here, you know. Uh, so, so Rogue One, the first of the Star Wars anthology stories uh, that came out. This came out in 2016, yes? Yes, this is 2016. Oh, wow. Wow. This, so, yeah, ground zero. If you look up at history textbooks in the future, uh, every answer is just going to be 2016. Uh, yep. But anyway, so yes, 2016, we've had Force Awakens. We have coming up next year, The Last Jedi. This film lands Rogue One. What were your thoughts? Were you excited for this one? Was this one you were looking forward to? What do you remember so of the I discourse? Was... Cast your mind back. <laughs> So I don't remember much discourse about this movie other than the fact um, it was a Star Wars movie that wasn't a Star Wars movie and there was some discourse around it not being a Star Wars movie but being a Star Wars movie. Um, I loved this film. I still love this film. I think this film and The Last Jedi are next to each other are some of uh, are the best Star Wars movies probably um, and possibly the longest streak of excellent Star Wars movies uh, in a row. Mm, interesting, interesting. A streak of uh, two, just to clarify. I'm not including <laughs> that was not including Rise of Skywalker or Solo in that streak. Uh, okay, so so what? Well, so what about Empire and Jedi? Though? A streak of two. Oh, fair, fair point. Well made. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was the only longest, but uh, um, so yeah, this is this. I, I agree. Empire and uh, Return are uh, the same two great films back to each other um i loved rogue one at the time and and i admit it's got flaws but i still love it Saz. well you don't have to apologize at all this this this, this is indeed a very entertaining this is a very good film uh, a lot of people love this uh, I, I i will I, I will be the dissenting opinion here i i will say this is a very very good film a very very good star wars film i do not think this is worthy of the plaudits it receives i don't think this is to, to be held in the same esteem of say empire strikes back and the last jedi for me i think what you have here is a series of very well made vignettes like like a couple of just scenes that were fantastic and then the best final 45 minutes of any star wars film and I think because okay. those final 45 minutes are the last 45 minutes, everyone left the theatre going, oh my God, that was absolutely amazing. Whereas having just, you know, rewatched it for this, uh, it, it, it reinforced that view for me. But the first two thirds of this film, I think are very, very uneven and very... <laughs> There's a, lot, there's, a, there's a lot of unnecessary stuff in there. Good stuff, entertaining stuff, but it doesn't particularly further the story or carry it forwards for me in, in not a good way. And I, and I think this might kind of harken back to something we were saying about with Solo in that I think this might have been served better as a series and a film rather than just as a film. Yeah, but Disney weren't doing that at that point in time, I guess. is, And that's what I think I learned from Solo as well is I don't... I agree, these would probably be much better served as TV series, but that was not Disney's model at that time period. Um, and so it wasn't a case of, oh, I wish they had, like, obviously we've said with Obi-Wan, I wish they had made that as a movie rather than a series. Um, and probably Boba Fett, although none of us really care. Um, you know, that was not that was not an option available to Disney at the time. Well, even if, even if not as a series maybe as a, a double-header film. And, and there is precedence for that. I, I will, of course, refer my learned colleague uh, to, to the Ewok films. Uh, I, I think you could have gotten away with a, a nice little duology here, uh, and, and that might have served it better. I, I just think that for the first half, it, it, it's, it's just for me, it's quite uneven. And that's not a bad thing. It's just so many people hold this film as many people will call this the best Star Wars film and their favourite one. And, that, and no one is wrong for saying it's their favourite film. But it doesn't quite hit those heights for me why well for the first thing uh Saul Guerrero I'm not a huge fan of Saul Guerrero as a character uh I I think he's an interesting discussion to be had on a podcast format because uh, let's face it Saul Guerrero straight up terrorist but but uh, it's an instance where they are 
they're, they're trying to imbue a huge amount in, into him. And I, I think because he's being portrayed by Forrest Whitaker, he's been given more grat- gravitas than I think he is deserved or, or delivers. Also, the boar gullet. Uh, we'll just leave that one there. Now, the second one, uh, and, and this was uh, a memory I had going into it, which didn't actually pan out. But I remember at the time thinking that Cassian Andor um, was a very underdeveloped character in this film. And so when they announced uh, the Andor series, I was like, hmm, I wonder if my opinions of this film will change after watching Andor. And they, it hasn't, because as it transpires, Andor is a, a, a quite um, minor part of his story. I That's think not a bad this, thing at all. this film's very much an ensemble. I think I remembered it being more Cassian focused, and mm. actually watching it again today, realizing that it actually it's it's a relatively even for the most part ensemble. There is no clearly one person that it's about more than anyone else. Well, with the I, exception of Jenna, so. Well, but I'm not sure she. I know she's the the vessel in which we we are transported through this. She is our our our, our navigator through the story. But I wouldn't say she's any more. She. I wouldn't call her a main the lead character by any stretch of the imagination. In because I don't think there is as such a lead. I think there's main characters. I think she was possibly in an early version of this more of a more the main character. Um, it's funny you should mention. It, it's funny you should mention in, in other versions of this. I mean, should, should we just have a little, a little discussion here about the development of this film? The development hell of this film, yes. Well, well, this is the, so you know. Again, Disney Star Wars, uh, and again, this is only the second of the Disney Star Wars projects which have gone ahead here. This was mired in in uh, shenanigans in the background. So, so this is. If, if you go to the Wikipedia of the IMDb page, it will state that it was directed by. Uh, Gareth Edwards uh, and Gareth Edwards is an exceptionally talented director uh, he did uh, Godzilla the Godzilla reboot uh, some of his independent stuff Monsters prior to that The Creator which I just saw recently all really really good films basically with Rogue One though uh, and I don't think this was necessarily in production but certainly when it got into post-production it would seem that he was effectively um, pushed aside from production and, and um, someone else took over because the, the, there's, there's an entire other film that has been filmed that we haven't seen. And you can even see some of these shots in the trailers. Does that well, the, specific... trailer, the trailer advertises a different film. There is no two yeah. ways about it. The trailer advertises something completely different. And do we feel that that is a... Do you think that was a better film than what we got? Or do you think the film we got is the best film it could be? Based on the stuff, the other stuff he has created, I suspect the film we didn't get was more character focused and more and possibly less action packed. I don't mean big space battle action packed, but um, possibly a bit more introspective on the on the rebels. I, I for me, I think it was probably a more, as I said, character driven piece. Um, that was possibly trying to say bigger things. I think that comes through for me, particularly in Jin's dialogue in this movie, is it kind of half says things? In in, in a sense of uh, it's expecting audience to pick up on nuances and stuff in the background or merely the scenes that have been cut and we'll fill those out later in the comic when we find out how C-3PO got his red arm. Both. I think okay. it's both. <laughs> and I think that's... I mean, I... I uh, so back to your original point I think Sol Guerrero is a poor character in Star Wars and I'm sure we'll talk about more about this at the end but I don't particularly like them in any interaction we've seen them in I get what they're supposed to be but I feel the shows that we've seen them in which are predominantly kid focused shows or kid um, marketed shows shall we say um, you can't tell the story you're trying to tell with Sol Guerrero and I think it is too late in their their narrative. You know, this is their death, isn't it? This is the end of Sol Guerrero. Um, oh, yes. He, he, is, he is quite dead at the end of this. <laughs> oh, yes. Although, uh, to be clear, he was more machine than man at first, twisted and evil. But I think we are, as an audience, if you haven't seen all the animation that's got him in, he doesn't make a lot of sense. He is very much a character in this that needs wider understanding, which is a problem we've said repeatedly with some of the Star, the modern Star Wars stuff. 
yeah, it, it's... Um, whereas in original Star Wars, this was a sense of a lived-in universe where there were suggestions of things on the peripheries that may have been fleshed out later on, but they weren't necessarily critical to the understanding or enjoyment of a show. This, it really does feel like they're setting stuff up because we're going to explain that in a comic book or a video game or a TV series. Uh, I will say the best depiction though we've seen of Saw Gerrera so far is the one that you haven't seen yet. But uh, minor spoiler alert for something which came out a year ago, uh, Saw Gerrera does show up in Andor and it's an interesting expansion of a character there. And I think if we had more of that prior to this, I might come around to say oh actually yes yeah, Saw makes more sense but what we've seen thus far and, and what is presented just on this I don't think that was made sense and I, I think Saw is the wrong character to do what you want uh, and as I was saying to you yesterday when we were watching this the person who I think should be filling the role that Saw has is Hondo I think Hondo would be a much better character to have because the thing is Saw has never been a particularly sympathetic or enjoyable character at all whereas Hondo much from the same origins, primarily in the kids' shows and the animated shows, but was a much more jovial, although morally grey. It would have been very interesting to see what could have turned Hondo into this sort of a character, and I think that would have had a lot more weight to it than having Sword doing that. But I equally would have been quite happy with a um, an introduction of a, of a whole new character for this one point in time. You know, it, it, they are... Uh, uh, there is enough explanation given about who Sol Guerrero is in this, it could have not been Sol Guerrero, is I think what I'm trying to say really badly. Oh, wow, okay. it's the start <laughs> of January. Um, yeah, I agree. It could be this other character, but it could be a completely new character because actually what's so good about Rogue One, for me, is this is for the most part entirely new characters. And I know they all die at the end, partly why I love it, but we're not, this film is not, bloated with legacy of the characters and they have to do certain things and act certain ways and I think partly that's why it's so freeing is it doesn't have all that weight tied into it unlike some of the other films Uh, so let's have a let's have a chat about the cast then Uh, now we we kind of touched upon um Jenna Servo, but uh, you know Felicity Jones as as Jen I think it's fantastic in this I really enjoy her character Uh, I, I think we could have probably done without the opening sequence on the uh, the farm with um, Beth Mendelssohn showing up to um, to take um, uh, so especially when we get a quick flashback later on which kind of conveys exactly the same amount of information as the uh, the opening bit does and also I quite liked it being kept a bit more morally grey over whether or not her father was a willing or forced participant in the, uh, the Death Star and, and this so takes I... that entirely away <laughs> I like to think that they went and added that start in afterwards. Um, I think so. I'm, I'm torn because I think it's a beautiful shot put together piece at the start. I think it's a great opener, but I don't, I think you're right. I don't think it's relative to the narrative of the story. I think, I think we could have given audiences more credit um, to have it picked up as it goes along. I think, with flashbacks, yeah. it, it feels but, like it was a. It, it, it feels like it was an executive note that oh, we need to establish straight away that he wasn't on board willingly. Do you know what it reminds me of? Um, this is this is weird. Um, in V for Vendetta, the American version is is twelve minutes longer than the British version because they had to explain the fifth of November, and there's this whole prequel section of the gunpowder plot happening that's 12 minutes long and it kind of felt like that it we didn't need it but they clearly thought some audience members did need it for the rest of the film to tie together so yeah i suspect that was added in as you say by executive note or early test screenings or something along those lines they already had it to use it for flashbacks so they went back and added it all in or whichever um but I don't. Yeah. But it's beautifully mm. shot, so I don't. I don't hate it. It's, I don't hate its existence. Yeah. But it. But it is. But it is. Fifteen minutes of unnecessary. Unnecessary. Uh, bloat at the start. Yeah. Uh, so so next on, uh, obviously, Cassie and Andor, uh, who who, uh, I I think is a fascinating and interesting character, and and I, I, I think, think they should make a whole series about him. He's so interesting. I, I think you should watch the series they've made about her because it is fantastic. And uh, I remember when they announced the the Andor series, I was very really 
you're going to do a series about him? I, you know, it, it just didn't quite make sense as to why you're doing this. Let me just tell everyone out there, Andor is fucking amazing. It is, it is some of the best television never mind science fiction never mind star wars out there and i highly recommend it and i i think it's done a huge uh a, a huge lot to kind of flesh out that character although it, it doesn't particularly inform my understanding of the character in rogue one and i think that just goes uh, as a testament to gareth edwards and uh, diego luna in building out that character from what we see in the show I, I mean straight away you can see this is a very different type of rebel to the ones we've seen in the past where he, he basically straight up kills the informant to to present, protect the um, to prevent rebellion to protect his source and I think that works really well here I think this this feels like it's meant to be I don't know. I don't want to say the grown-up rebellion because it's not, but it's the it's the rebellion it's the rebellion that you can't show in the cookie cutter Skywalker films. That's all, you know. I'm gonna get in my X-wing and I'm gonna save the day. Yeah, and all the kind of Poe Dameron and, and Luke Skywalker and and yeah, goodness wins overall. Um, I think this film works really, really well as the other side of that and we've seen that done other ways as well you know we had um the x-men franchise had logan which was a darker uh more morally gray interpretation of the character or view of that character so it's not something as audiences we're not used to seeing i just yeah and the reason i haven't seen andor is because uh i really want to watch andor but i want to be in the right place to watch andor because i feel if i engage with it when i am not in the headspace to engage with that kind of darker side of things um then i'm not going to enjoy it in the way i want to uh i i i think now you've watched rogue one it's probably a good time to go back and rewatch andor uh, so yeah, probably. I, I, so, I'd say so, it's worth uh, checking out. <laughs> so we spoke about Jin, who we think's great. I know yes. there's lots of people complaining that she was wooden and stuff, and I don't think she is. I think she's acting in exactly the way someone who was brought up by terrorists. <laughs> yeah, like she was. She was. She saw horrific things happen when she was eight or whatever, and then she's brought up by by a, a terrorist. Um, on the run and as he said there's a line where he says at 16 you were my best soldier okay that is I'm not surprised she acts the way she does in that case and at that point it's it's why I don't have any issue with the fact she can shoot and fight and and is as kind of decisive as the way she is because she has been trained to be that way yeah. you know that's that so so i know lots of people complained about her depiction and actually i think if you really look at the film that's that's in front of you it's that's that's correct um cassian's great um and again very very different like the anti poe dameron and i love it oh yeah um <laughs> and uh and then moving on uh, k2so oh. surely is, is is the next um alan tudyk alan tudyk is a fucking delight in everything he does how you can go from hey hey the chicken to k2so in, in effectively one movie is beyond me but absolutely K2SO is, is beautifully <laughs> delivered um, in my opinion adds a lot more questions uh, uh, onto the how are droids um, and the ethical treatment of droids but we've touched oh, yeah. on that in many of these episodes because <laughs> um, K2SO is sentient there's no two ways about it. I know Andor glosses over it Cassian says like oh yeah when we wiped him it means he he says things or does things no I think he's got sentience I'm afraid mm. um, but yeah and, and I think K2SO bringing the humour through this film works really well because it's it's very dry, it's very sarcastic. I dare say very British style of humour um, yes. that I think works. It doesn't fight against the darker tones of the film. It kind of works with them, which again, I think works really well and is something that uh, The Last Jedi couldn't do, but probably would have done if it could have done. Yeah, I, I mean, I think with K2SO you get uh, heavy, heavy uh, notes of uh, HK47 from the old Knights of the Old Republic computer game, and um, he's—I just, I mean, just the, the first time we meet him, you know, where he kind of knocks Jin down and goes, "You are being congratulations, you are being rescued. Please do not resist." Uh, and it's, it's just—I don't know quite how Star Wars managed to do this, but like every droid they put on screen is just instantly charming and and. I fucking love them all, and you get you've got everything from like BB-8 and Chopper and um, 
Uh, Do not put BB-8 and Chopper in the same sentence. One is a lovely little ball of roundness and the other one is a genocidal maniac. Oh, yes, yes. The other one will literally cut a bitch. Um, I mean, if you sent Chopper off on this mission, uh, there would have been no survivors. I mean, okay, there were no survivors anyway, but my point is he would have murdered everyone on Scarif. Oh yeah, with his with his bare little pincers. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think that's something, and I know we've mentioned this before, uh, but not on recording, so I'm going to say it now. Uh, Disney do their droids very well for Star Wars, both practically and visually, but mm-hmm. also in their tone. Um, the ones they struggle with are the legacy droids, and this is I'm going to take one moment now to mention the bit I hate in this movie, and that's fucking C-3PO again. Yep. <laughs> that's it. I've refused to mention it again. I think that is such an unnecessary little little bit that we don't need the thing is though we get background cameos from the ghost we hear general sendula on the pa and we see chopper in the background that's all i need and if they just had 3po and r2 in the background behind bail walking onto a sh- walking yeah. onto a ship would have been perfect because we know they're on the ship just have them walking onto the ship or go past a room and then be in the back of the room perfect that'd be great um i also feel this was probably a note added in mm. uh as a, just just stick C-3PO and R2 in there. Go on, just stick them in. Quite um, possibly. Uh, it, it, I, it's, I'm, uh, yeah. Um, so, sorry, back on with characters. Uh, we've spoken about Sol Guerrero. We don't need to do that again. Um, are we going to continue with the Rebels or are we going to move... To, are we going to go with, with kind well, of... Let's, I think, let, let's, let's, let's touch upon... Uh, You've you got uh, Donnie Yen as uh, Stuart uh, Imwe, uh, one of the uh, Guardians of the Wills. Uh, and, and what I think we have all described uh, as, as his long-term husband, uh, Jiang Wen, as, as Baze, because tell me those two are not married. They've certainly got some extremely deep uh, emotional connection, if no, nothing else. No, that's not what I said. The, the moment when Chewit is dead and, and Baze has just shot down the, uh, the death trooper holding the grenade and, and the look he gives... They were married, okay? And I will accept no deviation from that. They were clearly married for quite a while, by the looks of it, the way they were bickering. (laughs) I mean, the first time we see them, they are stood and sat together in a very we come as a pair kind of way and they're I so I will be honest I never remember these two characters names ever and you know what I don't think it actually matters and I think that's what's so good is the characters stand in their own right in their own way without needing a name and 50 million comics of backstory they're great what is what is very ironic though is is these are the two whose backstory I'd perhaps be the most interested in seeing, because I, I love the I, I love the um, the aesthetic of Jeddah. I, I love how it looks. You know, you've got this holy city against these high walls. I, I just lo- you know you've got this star destroyer. I mean, you we're, have we're, a coming little... to, we're coming back to the planets. We're coming back. No, 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 I'm getting to my point. Let me finish okay, my point, woman. Okay, okay, my point is. Okay. I love, I, love, I love this setting that they placed them in. And I would love to have had more stories about the Guardians of the Wills. And, and Donnie, yeah, look, I said this again yesterday when we were recording. You're just hearing all the jokes we made when we were recording this. I go, uh, if, if I had a nickel for every time Donnie Yen has played a blind assassin, I'd have two nickels, which is not a lot, but it's weird if this happened twice. But I just would love to see more of their story and, and, and how they've come to be in this position they are. And it's alluded to, this idea that Bayes used to be the most... Um, devoted of the Guardians and, and effectively became disillusioned when the Empire showed up. And, and I'd love to kind of just see that fall. But despite that, is still there and still continuing to support Stuart uh, as, as he's continued. I mean, was he always blind or has the blindness come along more recently and, you know, he's just using the Force now to to supplement the vision? You know, I don't know. But that's a, those are two I would like to have seen more of. And, you know, hopefully at some point there will be some, you know, live action series or something kind of just showing some of that prequel because that's something I would be very interested in I would love to see I don't think I need a whole movie but just a like a Star Wars Visions or a Marvel what if kind of ensemble of like 30 minute touch points with these these people that we know a little bit of um, and just just to give us a bit more but yeah they're they're great I love their narrative throughout this again they die and it's beautiful when they die um I know people said it was a bit gimmicky the way he was like, I am the force and the force is with me, blah, blah. No, this goes... The Jedi 
is a religion. They are a religious order. This is a religious order based on... Uh, this film, for me, was really good at giving us a religion again. Mm-hmm. And it's been far too many films since we had the Jedi as a religion. And this really re-cements them as a religion. And I I love that about this film and these characters for doing that. Um, yeah, a vicar and his husband is basically what we watched and I loved yep. it. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Moving on. We've done. We've done our the best husbands. But you, I, I, just so you're aware, if they ever made a series about them, they would definitely not be a couple, right? You know that. Uh, well, then I don't want the series. But they, they're oh, no, clearly married in this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that when he's dead, and and the look that Baze gives him, that that, that is a married couple, and, and and I will broke no more uh, discussion on that subject. Uh, I think one of the weakest of the um, the ensemble, and I think it's perhaps because we just don't have a huge amount of time with them, is um, uh, Bodhi, who is the uh, the pilot, who is 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 very much just kind of a MacGuffin to get them from point A to point B. It feels like I, it, it, even towards the end when they have a bit more agency and you know are, are being kind of proactive in in, in helping the day, they never particularly feel like they're part of the crew. For me, anyway. <laughs> They start off very MacGuffin-y. Um, I, th- I think they have a good narrative, but I just don't think we get enough of it. Again, I think you're right. I think there's a real lack of exploration of these characters. But again, it's a two-hour and 15-minute movie. There is no space to put any more explanation- exploration of these characters in it. you know. And, and I think that, again, goes back to it being a two-part or something else. Um, I, I have no issue with Bodhi as a character, I think they had a good, you know, they were they were a, a part of the empire. They defected. Um, I'd love to think they were coerced to do so by uh, by uh, Urso himself. You know, it was it was a long game to get him to defect and to do this. Um, and obviously, he he comes good at the end and saves the day because without him, it wouldn't have happened. Um, in many ways, so he is a MacGuffin, but I feel it, it, he's a MacGuffin that I sort of care about by the end when he dies. Mm. Yeah, I mean, his death, I mean, all of the deaths, as you say, are, are, are rather brutal. But the way that happens there with, you know, the grenade just kind of landing in front, and it's just, there's that moment of recognition when you realise, like, fuck. And then, kablooey. Uh Well, I guess that's pretty much everyone on the good guy side from the main ensemble. Let's talk about uh, Director Krennic. I love this guy. I unashamedly <laughs> love this sassy motherfucker. I love the fact that he wears white and the fact he wears a cape. And like, not a little cape. It's not a cape lit. That's a big fuck off to the floor bridal cape. And I love it. Well, and, and, and his, um, as you say, sassiness extends to, if, if you do some of the background reading, because, you know, of course I've done that, uh, the blaster he has is a vintage model from the Clone Wars, and his shuttle is also an older one. He's effectively trying, flying around, uh, you know, in um, Captain America, you know how Red Skull's got that huge, you know, car that he drives around in? The most ridiculous oh, yeah. but ostentatious thing ever. The shuttle that Krennic has is basically the Empire version of that. <laughs> Love it. Love it. It's dumb and I don't care. And I think he's I think he's well portrayed. I think he's an encapsulated character from start to finish. He dies amazingly at the end. You know, it's a comeuppance death. Um, oh, he's, he's literally taken out by the Death Star. Like, it personally takes him out. Not many people can lay claim to have been personally taken out by a Death Star. And that's why I love it is, and I think, for, um, obviously, uh, he wears white, which is, so his uniform's different. Um, I, I'm not sure. I know there's a particular uh, group that wear white. Is it the security? The, so th- it, you, you have uh, the, the ISB and the effectively the Advanced Weapons Research Bureau uh, wear, wear white. The first time we see it's actually in A New Hope. Uh, you have an officer around the table where Vader tries to choke a guy uh, in, in the middle of a briefing. But but yes, it, he, he's, it, he, he clearly sets himself apart from everyone else by wearing white, as he does. Do you think he wears the cape because Vader wears a cape? Oh, almost definitely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I don't care. It's, um, but it's 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 cheesy, but it's not played to be silly. You know, it's 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 just really well, well done. So, so, so here's an interesting note that I've heard before. I don't, I don't know if this is any credence to this, but have you noticed how in Star Wars, all of the um, the Imperial officers tend to have British accents? Yes. So the suggestion in Star Wars is that the British accent is in effect the the accent of Coruscant or the Core Worlds, 
it's the posh accent for the high highbrow, the high class. But Krennic doesn't have a British accent. He has Beth Mendelssohn's Australian accent. So yep. it's a little bit more, um, for lack of a better term, uh, working class, if you will. So the suggestion being he's worked his way into this place, but he doesn't come from a position of power. So all of this is him trying to fit into the Imperial world to the point where he, he starts to see himself as the equal of, like, Vader. Because who in their right fucking mind would go to tattle to Vader because Tarkin is taking away his toys? We've seen how this works out for you. Your well, best case scenario... Technically, is it's a... not happened for them yet. It's only happened for us because we've watched it in that order. Yes, but my, po- but... my point is, <laughs> that wasn't in no way the first one. I mean, he is very lucky it didn't end up with him being told his apology was accepted. <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, I, I don't know about if the if the accent thing is true or if that's just someone's interpretation, but I 100% buy it. I, I love that as a as a possibility. And I think again this movie gives us space to look into it and and kind of have have these kind of discussions about it where other star wars certainly the prequels and the most of the sequels don't we don't get to have this is this an intentional thing and and it, it feels like there is more thought put into this film than most of the other star wars films that have been made I think that is fair. I, I, I definitely think there is a lot of thought and, and I, a lot of work with Dave Filoni and the story group going on in here. Uh, in, in fact, Dave Filoni... And it pays does, off. Yeah, I was going to say, Dave Filoni actually does reprise his role as Chopper. We don't actually hear what he's saying, but he is going along going, wob, 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 as um, Chopper rolls around in the background. <laughs> How many planets shall I blow up today? <laughs> um, okay, moving on. So Kranich, great. Um Grand Moff Tarkin, what do you think? Ah, you see, see, here's where I think uh, we we start to encounter a few issues. I don't have an issue with them bringing back Tarkin, per se. But watching this the entire time, all I could see every time, almost every time he was on screen, is that is a a digital recreation, that, that is CG. And what I think is really tragic is... If you see the behind-the-scenes stuff of the actor they have portraying Tarkin, he is close enough to Tarkin that I would have just bought him as Tarkin. I, I, I don't think we needed to go to this level. The other way I would have done it, perhaps, that I think would have worked better, is only ever see him in reflection or through the hologram. I thought I'd find Tarkin way more jarring than I did. I was actually less bothered by it than I thought I was going yeah, to be. Yeah, I was be. less bothered, but I think it's because I was expecting it this time. Whereas previously when watching it, it, it takes you out. I mean, it took me out this time, but I was used to it taking me out. Uh, if anything, I, it, it was less... Uh, the, the Leia one at the end was less distracting. I think that was probably the optimal amount of time to have that character on screen was what we had with Leia at the end. Uh, I, well, obviously one of the main things here as well is they weren't trying to just repurpose footage from another film to kind of squeeze in there. Uh, but yeah, no, no, Tarkin, I don't mind the character and, and, and what the character does here. It's just, the first time you see him and it's just his reflection in the glass while the Death Star's being assembled and also, banging shot. You know, you see, you see oh, the Star beautiful. Destroyer coming out of the shadows and then you see, oh no, there's the Death Magnificent shot. But when you just see him in the reflection, that was amazing. It, he should have just kept it as that. And then the... Um, just a hollow reflection until maybe the very end when he shows up and decides he's going to take out Krennic personally but uh, but again and, and I think and, and I'm going to say this now because I'm at this point I'm talking about it I think that's an, another thing they could have potentially done with Vader I think they used too much of Vader in this I would have perhaps had when he goes to Mustafar to speak to Vader instead of Vader coming out of his tube and suiting up to, to, to meet Krennic, I would have think it would have worked better if Krennic is just presented with the opaque glass tube where you can see there's something in there but you can't see what it is because Krennic's too far beneath Vader's notice to bother doing it and and Vader will still force to come off a fucker in there which I thought would have been great and then have the actual reveal of Vader in the suit is when he ignites his lightsaber on the profundity I think, I think if that was the first time you physically saw Vader in this film that would have got, that would have gone down as an all-time great moment. I mean, I mean, it is a great yeah. moment. It just it would have been a 
a great, it'll be like a, oh my God, I'm losing my mind here. I mean, I think I did audibly say, holy fucking shit, when he lights his lightsaber at the end, because it is, it is so cool. Uh, and I don't even like Darth Vader as a character on a whole that much, but it's, oh my fucking God, it's so cool. I agree, seeing less of him uh, would have been nice. I think finishing Grand Moff Tarkin is I don't think it would have been right to have another character replace Tar- Tarkin is the right character for this narrative that they're telling it wouldn't have worked having Tarkin's uh, a different version and then Darth Vader promoting Tarkin or whatever at the end like that that wouldn't work it, Tarkin was the right character um, I just wish like you they'd been maybe more subtle in their in their depiction of him but I actually give it a pass in this because it wasn't egregious. It wasn't half-assed. The, well, dial- the, person, it, it- the, the person who was physically playing Tarkin is a guy called Guy Henry. Uh, and if you go and have a look at a picture of Guy Henry, he just looks like a young Peter Cushing. And it's just like, just, just, just have him be Tarkin. They're very inconsistent on who they want to recast with younger actors, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Disney is very difficult about this on the whole, in my Mm. opinion, um, which I think is half the problem. Um, I think if they'd done it consistently one way through this, it would have been fine, or consistently the other way, but they chop and change and you can't tell which one. Uh, The Princess Leia cameo at the fine, I am 100% okay with no notes. I know it's not Carrie Fisher, but it's the right homage to Carrie Fisher. And let's just also just acknowledge that this film came out, I think, literally the day after she passed away. The one thing I think could be massively improved in this film is the music. Ah, you see, that's interesting, because the music in here, Michael Giacchino, who... I fucking love Michael Giacchino's work. He he does the Star Trek soundtracks for the Kelvin films. Magnificent, I love them. I don't dislike his music in this film, but the problem is... It's not John Williams. Every, well, it's not even that it's not John Williams. It's the aesthetic of this film is very much a new hope. Like they have gone out of their way to recreate Yavin 4 and the look and feel of everything that's going on in A New Hope so, so well. But it is very, very jarring. And, and what I would suggest to people is if you go and get onto the internet and, if you go, and, and, and you can only do this if you legally own a copy of this film, by the way. But if you were to Google Maple Films... Um, Rogue One edit uh, I believe what you will find is someone has edited the Battle of Scarif and rescored it with John Williams music there's still some of the Chiaquino stuff in there because like the, the, the music that plays when the Death Star destroys Scarif is, is a beautiful and it's fantastic uh, but he's uh, this group have gone back and, and added in a lot of John Williams music uh, to, to supplement the stuff that's already in there and it completely changes it and it elevates it in my mind to just a whole other level it, I mean, the thing is, we, we, we've said before, John Williams is like 176. You know, he, 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 he is not going to be around forever. At some point, if they're going to continue to make Star Wars films, they're going to have to move away from him. And they're very reluctant to do so. And when they do do so, it's, it's jarring. So while I say the music needs to be improved... I say this with um, a big caveat on that, that I don't think it's the composer's fault um, in any way, shape or form. Because as you say, they are fantastic in most other things they've done. And this isn't bad, it just it doesn't hit the same heights. And I think a lot of that is down to the fact that this poor guy had four and a half weeks to score this movie. Oh, that's right, because uh, there was an entire different score done prior to this, wasn't there? Well, it was Alexander Desplat, um, who had worked with Edwards before, the director, um, on several films, was the original composer um, and had done a load of stuff. But because they went and did such late reshooting that affected post-production, um, he couldn't continue on the project because he had um, another space opera to go and work on Um in, uh, you know, he his schedule didn't allow for him to continue on this, so they obviously got Michael uh, Michael in, um, and he yeah four and a half weeks to compose music for the film, um, and he literally just stepped off Doctor Strange as well, so he had to compose all these original themes. It's why it's why I give the music a pass, I guess. In this, is it's not. It is a set of poor circumstance that I think lets the the music in this down. I think the composer can, can has has done really well for what's available but the music is not is not as impressive as it often is for star wars um i don't necessarily think that's cuz it's not john williams but i think 
I don't know why they didn't just repurpose John Williams stuff at that point or there were so many other options than get this poor guy to do it in four and a half weeks. Yeah, that's a bit of a disappointment. Um, but there's some great stuff in there. Like Again, as I said, the, the, the theme that plays when uh, the Death Star fires on Scarif is, is a beautiful piece of music. Kind of, kind of a Rogue One theme, if you will, uh, I think works very well. Uh, but it's it's, it's not the incidental and battle music. It's just a bit flat, especially when there's moments when you want the rousing Star Wars themes. So so do I honestly? It's Maple Films. If you just search for the Rogue One edit, uh, it's out there. It's it's basically just a battle of Scarif with John Williams music. It is it is great. Check it out. It's well worth it. Only though, if you legally own a copy of Rogue One, though, we do not condone piracy. Exactly. And I think what's interesting is if this film had been released in 2020 or even 2019, they'd have probably added more music later. You know how Disney have gone back and changed films after they've been released in cinema. Yeah. You know how they, they, I think they would have done the same thing. I think there is good potential that it would have after, you know, for the, for the digital release or I say physical media releases, if that's everything anymore. Um, I think there's a potential they would have actually had it remastered and rescored for that. Obviously, that wasn't a thing they did in 2016. I make it sound like 2016 was a million years ago. It wasn't that many million years ago. It was only eight years ago. It was um, It was literally an entire age ago. <laughs> but it was. Um, so I, I feel we shouldn't dwell on the music because, again, it's, it's not John Williams, which is a big kind of makes it different and i think the i think the fact that there's any music in this at all that isn't just uh googled you know youtube royalty free space battle music is quite frankly impressive in its own right um yeah okay uh let, let, well you, you cut me off early let's talk a bit about planets then because i really love Jeddah oh, as, a, as so a location good. it's it's I, I i love the aesthetic i love the look at the, the, these giant Jedi statues which have kind of collapsed into the desert and are kind of buried in sand it really gives a sense of an ancient religious order religion <laughs> it gives a religion it, well it does and, and the holy city it feels like you know something in the Middle East or may, maybe in Morocco Marrakesh you know it, it, it has that sort of a feeling to it the people you see going around have this sense that there's a, a sense of history and weight there and the Imperial forces really do stand out as an occupying army. And and you literally have this, um, the very symbol of, of Imperial uh, oppression hanging over them. It is such a cool shot having that Star Destroyer sitting over the city the entire time. I think it gives real scale, that Star Destroyer. Not only is it a beautiful tableau, which we'll, we'll come to cinematography in a minute after Planets, um, but I think that the tableau and the, just the size and the oppression, it, you feel the weight of the empire in this, um, especially when you're down in the very small streets. Um, I just, I, I, to be honest, I, the two planets out of my four favourite planets in Star Wars, two of them are in this film. And that Scarif is Scarif and, and Jeddah. Yeah. <laughs> and... I don't even care that Jeddah's a fucking sand planet and we always base things on sand planets because I believe that there's a reason that it's like this, you know, and Jeddah's great. It, it feels like a worn, lived-in ancient city. You're right. I, I, it, it, it reminds me of uh, the bit at the end of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the, the temple where the Holy Grail is. It has that sort of a feeling to it. It does. And just the the complete amalgamation of different people and all that kind of stuff it, it it just really works and i don't care about the cameos in it either oh you mean with uh doctor what's his name and the guy trying to pick a fight <laughs> yeah i don't care i like that yeah. that, that that works for me well it, um, it's, it's, it's not it's, it, it doesn't stop then and stop the movie for a minute and a half to explain the cameo it it's it's, it's there and it's done um, yeah there's no there's no kind of everyone stops they look at the screen and go that's for you that's mm -hmm. fan service. We didn't get any of that. It was just blink and miss it. If you weren't... I'm not even sure how much I'd notice that if I hadn't watched them, if this wasn't day 11 of 11 days of watching Star Wars. Yeah. You know, it's it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not important to the story. And I think that's how, in this, cameos and callbacks work really well. None of it is integral to the story. Mm -hmm. Taking that shot of C... Oh, I fucking mentioned C-3PO again. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> taking that second out isn't going to do anything except improve this movie. But, you know, it doesn't make... Having them bump into other people makes no difference. It's mm. it's there because it's... it's, it's 
it works um okay so you love Jeddah. what do you think of scarif i i love scarif before we before before we're gonna do a compliment sandwich we said a nice thing we like Jeddah. Jeddah's very cool it's destruction as well beautiful that does no other oh, word amazing. for it. It was just it, the, the way the Death Star kind of eclipses the sun before it fires. Oh, I, I, it's once so again, good. Krennic is a sassy bitch. He he will spend the time to get those he details waited. right. He oh, waited yeah. for the sun to be there. He waited to be the apocalyptic sun coming over. He yeah. is what the Mayans warned us about. And and I love how well they've recreated the sense of the Death Star's kind of com- control center with the um with, with the big screen there that they all. They all all gathered around watching it on and then you have the, the ridiculous firing sequence that goes on with the two guys having to shield their faces because you know there's no railing there's not even any glass there I, I, I love all of that <laughs> and and then you see you know jed has been destroyed off in the distance and uh you know k2 says uh, there's a small problem on the horizon there isn't one which is just this this impending terror coming towards you that's all great no I wanted to Scarif is, is great but I wanted to talk about a thing which I don't particularly like and that's the uh, the planet where uh, Jin Erso is uh, Edo is it uh, I don't particularly like that sequence I, I think that's another section but it feels very superfluous and it feels like it was done in reshoots and just slows everything down for that moment it feels very confused to me as well yeah it's an irrelevant planet yeah it, it's it's I mean it looks nice I love the opening shots I love the the, the look of it but I, it, it, it Jeddah's right there people and Scarif are right there <laughs> my, like, my point is I think you could have had everything that we had on Edo on Scarif and I don't think it would have really interrupted the flow and it would have given us more time to have had some of the adventures that we take place on Scarif I, I think it would be much more interesting is if they'd been given these results there was a question mark over was her dad uh, a, a collaborator or a prisoner there was no no and while they're on Scarif she bumps into him and and you can have that resolution of a discussion and the question of do you kill him do you not kill him uh, going on there and, and, and then that goes on I think that would be more interesting as, as again as it currently stands a lot of the first two thirds of this film for me are a series of just tableaus that don't particularly feel well connected yeah, but the last 45 minutes are really good. Yes, the last 45 minutes are really good. <laughs> Would you like to talk about the last 45 minutes, then? No, no, no we're, talking, we're talking about planets. Oh, um, we're talking about planets. Scarif is cool. I, I love Scarif. Uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful place. It looks like it was a great beach resort <laughs> at one point. Um, Does it not look like Florida? It just reminds me of Florida. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's got big Florida energy, but I just liked the... Um, you know, it just looks like a beautiful planet. And I imagine at one time it was a beautiful holiday resort location. And then the Empire came in and said, yeah, we're turning this into our, uh, you know, secret uh, vault, uh, archive vault where we're going to keep all of our top secret plans in one convenient location, complete with satellite dish for transmission later on. Um, but, but yeah, Scarif, Scarif works. I Scarif think is great. And, and I, I also love the fact that it's uh, based on Canary Wharf. <laughs> at least some of it is. Oh yeah, I mean the the, the fact they use practical sets uh, set uh, the fact they use practical sets in this works really well, and I think that again ties into a lot of a new hope and the original trilogy and that kind of tactile nature and that kind of physical buttons and all that kind of stuff, which is really great. And admittedly, the TV shows have done really well in places, not everywhere, but in places. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's always really jarring to see Canary Wharf. But again, if you don't use Canary Wharf Station, maybe you don't. Re- <laughs> maybe it's a lot less noticeable yeah uh, one thing that we know was uh, heavily uh, cut down is the battle of scarif because there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff and even some shots in the trailers showing that originally the battle of scarif seems to be much larger in scope and, and what's going on it, it, it seems like it originally was originally was a lot more saving private ryan-esque with storming the beaches and and, and lots of but the entire crew together engaged in a battle I remember watching um, I think it was a prequel and I was like give me give me bands of brothers in space which is almost what this is is, is doing and I, I, I do wonder if that was the original cut if it was more yeah character driven trenchy and that kind of stuff we'll never know Probably no, no, we won't. Um, but yeah, no. This, this, this is this is a straight up war film. Uh, there's no, there's no question there whatsoever, uh, and and it largely hinges around the Battle of Scarf. I, I love everything about the Battle of Scarf. I love the the build up. I love them launching from Yavin 
I love how they've recreated the Yavin for the set. I mean, I honestly would yep. believe they've just gone back to the location and blown off the cobwebs and, and gone again. And, and even though, like, the, uh, the general is a different actor, again, different actors playing out, that's not an issue, but uh, they haven't digitally recreated him. Uh, but I just buy it. It's like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I think what this film does really well is give a sense that they, they lose a lot because a new hope they feel very ragtag and small yeah and i think this film does a lot to say actually they were bigger but they've just had they've come out of this huge battle this huge fight that they had to win and that's why they're so small and they haven't got a huge number of ships i think i don't think it was a plot hole as such but i think it does a lot to kind of build into that for a new hope and give you that kind of how how kind of fucked they are and and they are really kind of on the run you know they've just done something massive and i love the easter egg that originally there was supposed to be blue squadron in a new hope but they realized that the um uh, when they're filming against blue screen it made it very difficult so they repainted the models red mm-hmm. uh, and and what they've done here is they brought back blue squadron and the idea being they were all wiped out in scarif but what i love is all I love of it. the I, I, I love how what they've done is got a lot of the actors and they made them all grow like 70s tashes. So they all feel mm-hmm. like they come from it. And I love that they rotoscoped Red Leader and Gold Leader into the film as well, using unre- uh, uh, deleted scenes and behind the scenes lines of them. And you know, that is doing- a. That- yeah that is the detail and the love that this film has put into it and I think we've spoken about the land battle the space battle in this is brilliant I think oh, I love it we don't get a lot of the uh, kind of in and out dog fighting stuff too much we, because it's not the lead story it's very much the, the side plot isn't it them in space mm-hmm. the main plot is on the beach and that's fine um, but it's so good it is so good as a space battle and I absolutely fucking love the hammerhead that punch it well slowly pushes the death at uh, the uh, the star destroyers into each other oh it's amazing that, it's such an amazing warfare. sequence yeah and the fact they can see it coming and there's nothing they can do about it because these are such big ships mm-hmm. and i love this little tiny tug ah oh, brilliant i love it um but yeah adding blue squadron back in is is a really nice pull back to the original and as you say adding gold leader and red leader back in um and you know add, adding them back in in a way that makes sense you know that's that's consistent narrative storytelling and that's that's what we want from this this is what we kind of should expect from something that's been going on for for four decades you and you, you, something- feel, you you would feel that this is once again this was just filmed right before i mean obviously not filmed because the filming style is very different but it, it, it feels like you could watch this and then go straight into a new hope do not do that because it will keep you whiplash especially darth vader but my point is it, oh, it, yeah. it just it, it those little touches it, it feeds that uh rose tinted specs view we have of the uh, original film very well and and, and it's it, as long as you don't physically then go to the next film i think it works very very well in that sense and it, an interesting note which uh, pablo hidalgo only posted uh yesterday morning on his feed which i thought was interesting is he showed that you can actually see the tantive four inside the profundity uh throughout the battle it, it it's an open bay but it's just it's framed as such where you can't clearly see it but it's it's there the entire time which i thought was cool a little touch the quality and the standard of this film is where I expected all the sequels to be. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It is not. And that's a conversation for tomorrow. But this is... This, for me, feels a lot like here's what you could have won. Well, even then, though, I think it's very apparent that with everything that was going on in the background and the reshoots, this feels like this succeeded despite Disney's efforts. This is the, and I think that's half the. I think that's a lot of Solo's problem, is they fucked around with this movie a lot. Again, four and a half weeks to write a whole film score, fucking insane. Mm. They fucked around with this movie, and it paid off. They fucked around with Solo, and it didn't pay off. Mm. I, I know that's not an exact. Uh, you can't exactly mirror them, but in terms of their 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 non Skywalker canon stories. Um, they 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 proper rolled the dice with this in the way they treated it and the way they the Disney fucked around in post production and everything else. Well, I, I also think though, as you said earlier, this isn't relying on legacy characters. This is about an event that we know, and obviously we have Vader and Tarkin present and Leia and uh, what have you. But this isn't revisiting one of the characters from the original films as such. It's an event that is taking place adjacent to what they're doing. And I think that is um, 
you know, something of a misstep uh, that they made when they went in to do Solo, especially when they'd announced going into Solo that they, they'd announced Obi-Wan and the Book of Boba Fett and, you know, all, all of the other things they were going to be doing, which just... It, it, it became very clear at that point that they were just looking to churn out content and not tell stories. Agreed. Watching this film makes me really wish they had done Patty Jenkins's um, Rogue Squadron film. Yeah. That That is, for me, That's uh, having finished watching this, that is what I want to see next. Absolutely. I, I, I would love to see... <sighs> I'd, I'd love to see more of this. I mean, when I was growing up, I used to love reading the X-Wing books and, and you know, stuff about starfighters and, and, and spaceships and space battles. I, I love Radus, Admiral Radus on the, uh, the Profundity. I think he was a cool, different take on the Mon Calamari as opposed to what we'd seen with Admiral Akbar earlier. And um, it'd been so easy to shove Admiral Akbar in there and call him Captain Akbar, you know. Well, given what happened, I don't think you could. Well, no. <laughs> I, I just want to say... Uh, yeah, a couple of things. Uh, firstly, K2SO's death is fucking brutal. Of, of all the deaths, his feels the most brutal because... Climb. Climb. Well, it's, it's not that, though. He's being, he's, being, he's being whittled away bit by bit. And and then, yeah, he does that climb. And then when he falls and he lands, and they, they linger on his eyes as they go out. And it's just like, oh, my God. Dude. The eyes, the eyes on this droid have so much expression. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it master, masterful craft from everyone involved in K2SO and the death is 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 awful still. Yeah. Um, but you don't have time to... All the deaths are sad, but they don't overly linger. No. And I think that works really, really well. And that's why it's such a gut punch at the end. I know you say it's just the last 45 minutes, but the whole film, I know it's a bit uneven. I, I, look, it is a very good film. I enjoy it. But, but I, as I said, I do not think this is top tier for me. I, I, I think Ooh. if I was... To, if, if I was to make changes, I would want to have two films. The first film would effectively be... They, they get word that the Death Star Death Star's being built and there's plans and then they have to get things together. And basically the first film is all about recruiting Jyn Erso and getting her on board and you know trying to find out where... It, where it, is this true as the case? What's going on here effectively? And I'd have one film focusing on that. And then the second film, after a period of time has gone when they are now working together as a team, it is effectively the everything up to the Battle of Scarif. And I would, as I said, I would get rid of Edo and I would have her father on Scarif and I would have left the question of is he a collaborator or is he a, uh, a prisoner, uh, an open question, until it's resolved in that film uh, at the end. I, I, I think this is a very good film. This is, this is for me, the, the final 45 minutes of this film are a solid 10, easy. Overall, though, I'd put this at about a seven and a half. I'm not going to tell anyone they're wrong for not loving this film. Absolutely not. Uh, it, it's great, but for, but for me, it doesn't quite reach the, the levels that uh, it does for other people. But hey, other people are, are, are less enamoured with The Last Jedi than I am, and that is okay. I think one of the reasons I love this film is, I think, and watching all these Star Wars films in the way we have, I really crave seeing better female characters. I think that's partly why I love this film so much, as it does women much better mm-hmm. um, as a woman. I, I, I like seeing stories about women um, or having more solid female characters and and it, there wasn't that many in this but she 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 was a good a good strong female lead I disagree when people at the time were calling her like the roguish female Han Solo I think that's complete shit um, yeah. but I think she's I think she's a worthy addition to Star Wars and I think you know, this film has no Jedi in it at all, and yet it still massively feels like the Force and the Jedi are there and part of this universe. Well, and, and a lot of that comes down through uh, Chewit and his, uh, his his chanting. But as you say, it feels again that the Force is mystical. The Force is a religion. Well, uh, the Jedi is a religion. The Wills are a religion, and everything we see him do. It might be the force and magic, but it's not explicitly said. We don't hear a force theme. We don't hear the rumbling or the music. We don't see anything. We don't see anything particularly supernatural taking place there. It, it really does feel a lot more like it's down to belief, which I find much more interesting. But look, we, we, we've we've spoken long enough uh, about the, the film. I, I think on the whole, though, this is a fantastic one. I would say the second best of the Disney films output, and I'm very very grateful that out of this we've gotten. 
and or, which I think is absolutely magnificent. Um, uh, we have spoken nothing about the visuals and the cinematography. They're stunning. They're both fantastic. They're amazing. Top class. Zero notes. <laughs> it has such a physicality and weight to it that I feel the other sequels just don't. Yeah. Uh, and I feel Solo didn't have either. Yeah, I agree. I, I, cannot, I cannot add to that. <laughs> Um, so yes, I think it is time for us to look into the distance, see the Death Star has blown up the tower, um, and hug each other as we wait for impending doom. Oh, and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm running through the uh, through the corridors of the Profundity, uh, knocking over my colleagues uh, to get under the Tantive Four, just so I can get the hell out of here, just to be sliced down mercilessly by Vader next week. <laughs>